Mr. Cheney, are you ready to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, James Danforth Quayle. I, Michael Richard Pence. I, Spiro Theodore Agnew. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. do solemnly swear. Welcome to the eighth episode of Running Mates. It's me, your host, Lars Emerson. And I am joined by my co-host, as always, the Mike Levito. The Mike Levito. This is the podcast where we look at every presidential election through the lens of the vice presidential picks, and we talk about who they should have chosen instead. This week, we're talking 1996. Michael and I have finally been born, and we are, (laughs) I'm sure, very, very excited for our first ever presidential election, Mike. true. Can our president at birth birth president Bill Clinton, as I like to call him, and his vice president Al Gore survive re-election against a Republican challenger and former vice presidential candidate himself, Bob Dole, and his running mate, Jack Kemp. A running mate's favorite, Jack Kemp. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's set the scene. Well, before 1996, there was a major midterm election, probably one of the most important midterm elections in American history. In 1994, and it was called the Republican Revolution, in which Republicans took the House for the first time in 40 years, which is nuts. It's very insane. We've seen it switch more times in our lifetime than, than our parents would have seen when we were Yeah, born. our parents yeah. would have yeah, 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 yeah. And they also gained the Senate. This is like a major rebuke to President Bill Clinton. The incumbent President Clinton more or less has avoided, you know, much foreign strife. He's often not intervened in issues such as the Rwandan genocide, which he would later regret. But he has worked on on, on building up NATO and whatnot, even though the Cold War is over. As 1996 rolls around, even though Republicans are smelling blood after their 1994 victory, the economy is really, really, really good. There's low inflation, low unemployment, trade is booming. What Republicans thought they had a chance at may now seem like kind of a tough race. On the Democratic side, very quickly, Bill Clinton is running for re-election. He faces no serious challenge in the primary. After that bruising 1994 midterm and faced with a Republican Congress, he's embraced this strategy of triangulation, which is, which is being above kind of the left or the right. And he's embraced welfare reform. He's dropped his health care plan. He signed a major crime bill has been a pro-free trade president, pro-free trade Democrat, which is kind of unique, maybe not so unique now. There's this impasse uh, with Congress in 1995-96, which results in a government shutdown, and he goes on to give this famous State of the Union in 1996, the election year, where he declares that the era of big government is over. Very outside of the orthodoxy for Democrats, historically speaking. Anyway, he's handily renominated. So the Republicans, after the Republican Revolution, Clinton's initial unpopularity, a lot of them kind of smell blood. And so a lot of candidates jump into the race, but eventually as Clinton adopts these more centrist policies and becomes more popular, they start to drop out because they think that they don't have a very good chance of beating him. But it does essentially become a five-man race between a trio of senators and two non-politicians. The three senators are Phil Graham of Texas, who is more conservative, Arlen Specter of Pennsylvania, who is more of a centrist, and then a uh, frequent discussion point on this podcast, Bob Dole of Kansas, who was actually Senate Majority Leader at this time, who was kind of in between Graham and Specter, right? He was, I guess, center-right, if you will. Two non-politicians are Pat Buchanan, who we talked about last episode. He was a former Nixon staffer and a conservative columnist. He challenged Bush in the 1992 primary. And Steve Forbes of Forbes Magazine, he was their publisher. Uh, it's also worth noting that despite the urging of party leaders, former Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Colin Powell, former Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney, and Texas Governor George W. Bush all declined to seek the nomination. They'll be back. Yes, they will be <laughs> back. They certainly will. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld, who we've talked about a bit on this podcast as well, actually formed an exploratory committee, but he declined to run. And these candidates, you know, 
a lot of their talking points are kind of undercut by Clinton's move to the center. But they talk a lot about tax cuts, they talk a lot about a flat tax, and about sort of like a general return to Reaganomics. Dole was the odds-on favorite, but Buchanan did get off to a hot start. He actually won the first two contests, which were a non-binding primary Alaska straw poll, which, you know, whatever, and the Louisiana primary, which is a little, little bit bigger of a deal. Dole would eke out a victory in Iowa with only 26% of the vote, but Buchanan actually won the New Hampshire primary, and Forbes won Delaware and Arizona. This cast Dole's frontrunner status in doubt, but he would go on to win every contest after Arizona, and Buchanan and Forbes would drop out in March. A little fun fact about this is that Steve Forbes, who Time Magazine described as, quote, a comedy club impersonation of what would happen if some mad scientist decided to construct a dork robot, was actually slated to host SNL in April of 1996. Presumably part of his campaign, but he ended up dropping out in March, So, but he still hosted. And of all people, the musical guest was Rage Against the Machine, who were, of course, noted <laughs> leftists, and also, ironically, Paul Ryan's favorite band. Rage Against the Machine were going to protest Forbes by hanging American flags over their amps to try and, like, represent turmoil underway in, like, America and all that, because they bounced as the music was playing. I think it's the thing they do at a lot of their shows. And they actually only got to perform one song because of that. Like, it was apparently like, a very tense atmosphere between the band and the producers. And if you ever get the chance, just, like, go on Vimeo and you can watch their performance of Bulls on Parade. Very weird to watch Steve Forbes, A, introduce them, and then when it cuts to Rage Against the Machine, they're doing the song Bulls on Parade, which is about the evils of the military-industrial complex. Tom Morello is wearing a hat that says commie, and his guitar has Arm the Homeless written on it. It is the most incongruous thing that's probably ever happened on that show, and it's been on for like almost 50 years. It's just very bizarre. So like our, what, three or four episodes now, we've talked about how SNL has mattered in election. Yeah. Um, but Dole ended up being the nominee. Yes, Dole It's, it's weird that a, a majority leader in the Senate would it end is. up nominee. And he would actually end up resigning his seat. I don't know, like, I, I believe, like, after he began the presumptive nominee, he was like, he wanted to focus on the race, so he resigned his seat. This was effectively the... Oops. Yeah, it was effectively the end of his political career, and I think he knew that, right? Yeah. This was his last hurrah, his last chance to become president. It's all or nothing, basically. After being second banana to Reagan and Bush, remember, he actually ran in 80 and 88 in the primary. Hmm. All right, as for who Dole and Clinton chose for their running mate, I'll start with Clinton. Clinton keeps Gore on the ticket. No surprise here. End of story. Your turn, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bob Dole shows former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development and former Congressman from New York, Jack Kemp, also a former AFL MVP. We talked a lot about Kemp. You know, he's been our choices in a lot of these past episodes. He was considered like one of the preeminent Reagan Republicans in Congress for a very long time. He was really considered the future of the party. He was young. He was handsome. He was charismatic. He was very enthusiastic about the Chicago School of Economics and supplied side policies. You know, a lot of people just assumed he would be a running mate of either Reagan or Bush at some point, but it never ended up happening. Instead, he would become Bush's HUD secretary, and he was what was called a, a bleeding heart conservative. He was one of those people who legitimately thought that supply-side policies were what was going to lift the working class out of poverty. Like For him, it wasn't just a matter of like not wanting taxes. He honestly thought that this was how we were going to build a more equitable society. At the time, HUD had a really bad reputation. It was considered ineffective and at times corrupt under Samuel Pierce, who was Reagan's secretary. And so Kemp tried to like reform their image a lot. His big initiative was trying to encourage homeownership by selling public apartments to tenants. But he didn't really see a lot of support from the administration. They kind of ignored him a lot. And actually, Democrats, Chuck Schumer and Bill Clinton, 
they had nice things to say about Jack Kemp. Hmm. And after Bush did lost re-election, Kemp, he thought about running in 1986, but ultimately didn't because he felt he was asked of the Gingrich era party, which is kind of interesting. Gingrich, the contract of America, wasn't about cutting taxes so much as it was about balancing the budget. And Jack Kemp was the people who thought that you had to cut taxes no matter what. Hmm. He didn't really care about a balanced budget. He just wanted to cut taxes. He was, during his sort of quasi-retirement, appointed head of the Kemp Commission on the tax code. He used that as a vehicle to advocate for a flat tax. He was also actually very pro-immigration. Hmm. It was one thing that he and the party were disagreeing on. He, he, he literally called immigrants a blessing to the country. And the way he got picked as the, as the VP is actually a little interesting. Uh, the 1996 RNC was a little tense. The chairman was Haley Barber, who had gone on to become governor of Mississippi, actually. And he wanted to avoid like another cultural war moment from Buchanan. He actually didn't want really Buchanan to speak at all. They offered him a 15-minute video clip instead of an actual primetime speech, even though he came in second place in the primary. And it's so like it ended out the crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> he ended up withholding his endorsement from Dolan. He held like counter programming in the San Diego area, which is where the, the convention was held. Newt Gingrich was even denied a primetime spot because after Clinton started to move to the center, Newt Gingrich didn't really let up on his criticism of Clinton. And Republican leadership thought it made Gingrich and the Republicans look like extremists for not being pleased with the compromises Clinton made. Well, and the shutdown went very poorly for It did, yeah, yeah. And while you have this sort of, like, backlash on the right, you also have moderates like California Governor Pete Wilson and Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, who were trying to get the party to move to the center, and actually their big thing was trying to get the Human Life Amendment, which, you know, was a, a proposed amendment to ban abortion, removed from the Republican platform. It's an interesting turning point. It is. For the party. Yes, I, I have thought... Something is happening I have thoughts on this election that will impact towards the end of the episode so picking kemp it's a clear attempt to reunite a fractured party and remind everybody like the good old reagan days republicans may not have agreed to like a lot in 1996 but they definitely agreed on reagan and the thing is dole and kemp disagreed on that like i said dole was all about a balanced budget kemp was all about tax cuts no matter what and then kemp also opposed uh, talking about his immigration stuff he opposed the california law that expelled children of illegal immigrants from public schools which, again, was popular with the party, and which Pete Wilson actually put into practice. It is a bit of an awkward marriage between Dolan and Kemp, but they try and make it work. And it's actually interesting, after he was announced, you know, Dolan and Kemp appeared on the cover of Time magazine, but they almost didn't have them on the cover. They almost had, like, a story about, like, a mission to Mars instead. <laughs> this is an underdog ticket, let's put it that way. <laughs> it's a weird election that it kind of reminds me of 2012, where mm-hmm. it's like the Republicans smell blood. They're like, this is a weak incumbent ticket. We got this. And then it, like, actually is kind of, like... Yeah. Boring. It's like, oh yeah, the incumbent wins, obviously. Mm-hmm. This is nice. I like you having to describe all this stuff, and I don't have to Yeah, yeah. It. Usually it's the Democrats who have trouble picking a VP, but. Dem- uh, Democrats just have not won a lot of elections in yeah. our podcast so far. <laughs> Fun fact about the Dole Kemp ticket they're the first presidential campaign to set up a website, and the website is still there. If you go to dolekemp96.org, check it out. All right, so the general election is coming up. Kemp marches on to the vice presidential debate against Gore. And Gore opens with a with a proposed compromise that perhaps somewhat sets the stage and jabs at Kemp's kind of maybe perceived lack of depth. Gore says, you know, if you won't use any football stories, I won't tell any of my warm and humorous stories about chlorofluorocarbon abatement. Ha 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 ha. Very funny. <laughs> it was a thing apparently where like Republicans were worried that Jack Kemp used too many football metaphors when he was speaking. <laughs> Like, he talked way too much about, like, trying to pass the ball. (laughs) Yeah. So that sort of sets the scene. But what followed is actually a very congenial, very polite debate, mostly on the issues, avoiding any kind of personal attacks. It's funny. I I was, like, reading a lot about this debate, and the perception just kind of overall seems to be that it was just kind of a very nice and boring debate. Time magazine said that, quote, the debate received some of the lowest ratings and least enthusiastic reviews of any election debate in history. So uh, there you go. I I wish I had more for you. But wrapping up the debate... 
I will say Gore closes with a thought that is very much kind of in tune with the Clinton-Gore campaign since 1992, and it's that, you know, quote, we want to build a bridge to the 21st century because our best days are ahead. This is a very new Democrat, 21st century, moving forward message. On to the general. With Clinton able to focus on the general election without blowing energy or money on a primary, he cuts off Dole's advances quite early. Dole attacks him on their generational differences. Dole, being the the older one, painted Clinton as a spoiled baby boomer who owes everything to the greatest generation, of which Dole was, of course, a member. And then Dole attacks him on federal spending, but Clinton actually kind of has credibility on curtailing runaway spending and whatnot which takes the wind out of Dole's sails. Clinton stayed on top of the polls, and by October, even the Republican National Committee was urging congressional candidates to steer clear of Dole if they wanted to, so as to preserve the Republican congressional majority. Not a good sign if you're going into Election Day and your own party is saying, eh. On Election Day, Clinton became the first Democrat to win re-election since Franklin Roosevelt uh, over 50 years ago. He won 31 states, once again dipping into the South, and this is the last time that Democrats would win most of the few southern states that Clinton held on to. Fun fact, this is the first election in which the winner failed to win the overall male vote. There you go. Yeah. What, what happened to Jack Kemp? He, he did like the retired politician thing, right? He ended up on a lot of boards of corporations and nonprofits, but he'd remain an outspoken critic of Clinton and he was like kind of a tax reform activist. He was expected to make a run for the 2000 Republican nomination, but instead opted to endorse George W. Bush. And he just kind of lives the rest of his life as a party elder. He helped bridge the gap between Dole and Gingrich when Gingrich was going undergoing an ethics investigation. And he helped Trent Lott navigate a controversy where Trent Lott... <laughs> Do you know what Trent Lott said? No. So he, I don't know why, but he was giving a speech about Strom Thurmond, who at this point was still in the Senate. Strom Thurmond, of course, a notorious segregationist who ran in 1948 as a Dixie crap. You know, Trent Lott, who I believe is from Mississippi, uh, said that, you know, we, referring to sort of like him, his ilk, and his family, said that, uh, you know, we, we all voted for Strom Thurmond. We were proud of it. And if Strom Thurmond was president, we wouldn't have a lot of the problems we have today. <laughs> Which, oh, what no. do you mean by that? <laughs> and so, so Kemp tried to help him navigate all that. Um, he, he endorsed John McCain in the 2008 primary, which is actually surprising to a lot of people, mm. since McCain was considered more moderate than, than Kemp's usual preferences. He did pass away in 2009 due to cancer, which was actually kind of so advanced they didn't know where it started. Hmm. He's, to this day, remembered as a conservative icon and kind of a great what-if in terms of running for president and vice president. We, we've talked about him a lot. We it's have. like, yeah. he had a moment that yes. I think it's just a little late for at this yeah. point. Uh, as for what happens to Al Gore, well, we'll be talking about him next episode quite a bit as he goes on to run for president himself in what turns into an electoral nightmare for the ages. But, uh, you know, as we said last time, Gore was a very strong policy vice president focused on environmental and technology issues, going to win a Nobel Peace Prize and many other achievements for his work on these issues after the vice presidency and his presidential run. And yeah, as I said last time, he's probably like the most consequential vice president to have never been elected to the presidency, certainly in the post-war period. Everyone knows who Al Gore is. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's get to the main part. Mike, you've been asked to come to the table with five alternative picks for Dole's running mate. And since Clinton is the incumbent, we'll do just two for him like we usually do. And we'll talk about whether they're good picks or bad picks and whatnot. Let's start with the Republicans. Sure. So my number five pick for Bob Dole is Susan Molinari, congresswoman from New York. She actually ended up giving the keynote speech at the 1996 Republican National Convention, considered kind of the future of the party. A fiscal hoff in many ways, pro-death penalty, kind of your down-the-line Republican, but she was actually uh, very pro-choice. 
and was good on a lot of quote-unquote women's issues. She actually broke party ranks and voted with the Democrats for the Family and Medical Leave Act, which was a big part of Bill Clinton's social policy. And she talked a lot about you know her being being a, like a new mother and how family values should include support for families from the government. My my thinking here is that yes, she she's she's a little inexperienced. She'd only been in Congress for six years at this point. <laughs> yes, Lars. I'll build in. All right, well, we'll get to, like... A three-term congresswoman, Mike. Come on. <laughs> I mean, we, we've gone with, like, senators who've served, like, two years in the Senate. Senator's different from a congress congressperson. Okay, well, anyway, I, I went with her because my thing with Jack Kemp is that it is just such a yesterday's news kind of pick for vice president. Yeah. He had his time. It's up. I just think when you look at Dolan Kemp, you don't see the future. When you looked at Clinton Gore, you did. It was therefore incumbent on the Republicans to find someone from the future to pair with Dole. And, and Molinar, I think, is a good choice, right? Yeah. And you talked about how this was the first election where the winner lost the male vote, which means that the winner won the female vote, presumably. And maybe Susan Molinari helps make up that gap. Sure. Yeah, I just think we got to stop making congress people think that they can be president it's it's a problem i don't i don't need tim ryan i don't need eric swalwell these people need to stop thinking that they deserve the presidency she's a little green she's very green i i agree i agree with you that kemp is kind of old news clearly clinton and gore literally looking into the next century are like this is the future and republicans kind of need to seize that i think picking a young woman is actually a good choice and i'll get to that with some of my picks later molinari i just think is kind of too new she kind of doesn't give credibility to dole's argument that he's like a party elder right Mm -hmm. i also just think she seems unhappy with the party and politics in general she resigns in 1997 in the middle of her term to go be a journalist yeah a tv journalist nonetheless (laughs) i mean she was interested enough to give the keynote address at the 1996 rnc so that's true all right for my number five, I had Ed Schaefer, the governor of North Dakota. North Dakota's a small state, but, you know, maybe it hits on this, this middle America message, Bob Dole being from Kansas. When he became governor in 1982, this is the same year Clinton was elected, the state was facing, like, a huge budgetary problem, and he had to deal with it. He came into office, and he successfully expanded the economy, revamped the state's resources. He also spent time as governor working on securing internet access in North Dakota. He, he was, like, very ahead of the curve in terms of prioritizing network availability for rural households. Yeah, maybe this sounds boring to us today. Clinton and Gore are kind of talking about this sort of stuff. This is a very kind of future-oriented guy, and it kind of hits on, like, a guy who's getting it done in a small rural state. Well, here's a question I have. Are, are you concerned that North Dakota and Kansas are too similar regionally? I mean, are you concerned that Arkansas and Tennessee are too similar regionally? Not really. I am not concerned about region. Okay. I think region is still somewhat fluid enough that it doesn't matter. North Dakota and Kansas have different reputations. You know, North Dakota is like an energy state. I don't think people see Kansas that way. I also think maybe it works. Maybe you want to... The Republican Party is clearly building up strength in these rural states. It's like maybe it's time to start doubling down there. This is a strategy that will work very well for them in the next century. Maybe you're showing the Democrats up by saying, yeah, you guys can have the coasts. We're the real America here. Are you concerned that combined both Dole's and Schaefer's home states do not add up to 10 electoral votes? I mean, you Jack Kemp would lose New York. Like, New York wasn't even in play, and yet you chose Jack Kemp. True. Not, not really. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I, I think this is a fine pick. It's just, just like a lot of middle America for one ticket. I don't know. The Republicans are not going to lose this election on any given state. That's I true. I actually mostly avoided state picks in mm-hmm. this round. I, 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 I do like the idea of like he's a guy who sort of has made improvements. It, this is just such a weird election. It is. Where you have to kind of look for like conflict. <laughs> look for controversy. I like he, the image of this like tech guy in this yeah. like rural yeah. North Dakota doing stuff with like the internet yeah in 1996 yeah. it's like yeah. that's fun yeah yeah I think about what, there would, what the Dolph Schaefer website would look like <laughs> look probably better yeah um, alright my number four pick I have Gary Johnson governor of New Mexico and my favorite president yeah perhaps best known to most of our listeners as 2016's Libertarian Party presidential nomination. He was, in fact, a Republican for the majority of his political career. The fiscal conservative, his small government approach would probably work well if Bob Dole's, like, balanced budget. Like, like the Dole-Kemp split you get as far as when it comes to, like, balanced budget versus no taxes, you get kind of that with Dole and Gary Johnson as well. While governor of New Mexico, Johnson was a strong advocate for school choice. He reduced 10% annual growth of the state budget and proposed tax cuts on prescription drugs, gasoline, and income. He also got kind of involved in federal affairs even as a governor when he, along with 20 other governors, wrote a letter asking Congress to stand firm against Clinton during the shutdown. He's, he's someone who put these small government policies into practice. He didn't just, like, slash budgets and do nothing. He, he made good on his promises to reduce the growth of the budget. And like I said, he invested in education. So he invested where he thought he had to. And just, you know, it seems like a guy who the average voter probably would not know about Gary Johnson. But if you're already Republican inclined, I think once you read about Gary Johnson, you'd probably end up liking Gary Johnson. He was able to have a say in the shutdown without really getting tainted too much by it, which I feel like that's a big problem for the Republicans at this point. They're kind of tainted by the shutdown. So yeah, that's my pick. He's my number four for a reason. Honestly, I had Colin Powell here, but turns out he said he wouldn't run for vice president, so I kind of needed a guy, and I feel like he could do a lot worse than old Gary Johnson. <laughs> uh, as he would have you believe in 2016. Yeah. And 2012, he also ran. That's true. The he and the other governors who supported the shutdown thing is interesting, because I don't think the, the shutdown is now regarded as a failure. This is a miscalculation tactically by the Republican Party, right? Mm-hmm. How does this help Dole? That this guy is on record being like, yeah, keep the government shut down. I think it helps him make a case for it. If you are a congressperson and you're advocating for the shutdown, well, then you're just kind of intransigent and you're just trying to, like, you're just trying to win. I think you can make a case if you're a governor saying, this is okay because I was governor of a state and this is how we handled it in New Mexico. And this is why, as not just a representative, someone who's actually responsible for the well-being of the people of New Mexico, the land of enchantment, that this is why it was the shutdown was okay, and this is how we handle it, and this is how we'll deal with budget problems going forward. He's been governor like two years at this point. This is true. During the, during the shutdown, he's been governor like one year. Yeah. How do you feel about like a two-year governor with zero other experience being president? This is kind of an Agnew problem. Yeah, it is. Yeah. How do I feel about it? I guess not great, but, you know... <laughs> it's not about how the, I feel. Yeah, it's not. It's about how the voters of 1996 felt. My other thing... And I was only two, so... <laughs> my other thing... New Mexico is, like, a very famously poor state. It's, like, one of mm. the poorest states in the Union. You say look at his record and how, like, all these policies is it he's implemented. Are things going well in New I mean, Mexico? isn't also Arkansas? Yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> that's, that's fair. Good point. Good point. Yeah. It's, it's like, didn't Bush have that ad where it's like, want Bill Clinton to do what he did for Arkansas and basically portrayed Arkansas as like a desolate wasteland. But like, you know. But I, I think that's the thing. It's like, I've firsthand experienced... 
the challenge of, of trying to bring prosperity to a low-income state. And, <laughs> and failed. <laughs> well, and I've done my best. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sure. It's what Clinton wins Arizona in this election, but I think people often forget. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like one of the rare elections in Arizona that Democrats win. Last voted for a Democrat in 1964. While their own senator was up for re-election. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's right. It, it's Gary Johnson maybe helps prevent Democratic growth in, in places like Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, where Democrats are starting to emerge. Mm. I do think there's a regional play Yeah. There. Cool. For my number four, I went with your favorite, Michael, <laughs> Christine Todd Whitman. I think my birth governor. Your birth us. governor. <laughs> yeah, she's the, she's the governor of New Jersey. She's a tax hawk. You know, woman on the ticket. Let's get a woman on the ticket, Republicans. We talked about how this is the first election in which the winner lost the male vote. Clearly, Doles and the Republican Party's big weakness is, is with women. They're starting to notice that this may be a problem. She gave the first televised State of the Union response in 1995. She's also the first woman to give a response to the State of the Union. She's just a prominent Republican woman in an era where there aren't a lot of those. You know, the Democrats had their year of the woman. Maybe this is a little tokenizing for the Republicans to be like, well, here's our one woman. <laughs> but but I think it works in a geographic sense, too. Dem- Democrats in the 90s will solidify their, their regions as kind of the Northeast, the West Coast, and some of the Midwest. We'll probably talk a lot more about this. The Republicans have a chance to change a lot here. The Republicans have a chance not to give up on a lot of voters in the Northeast, and they, I mean, ironically, kind of by choosing Kemp from New York, they do. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about last episode how there's kind of this period between 88 and like 94, 96, Mm -hmm. that Republicans have to change the direction of their party, and they kind of fail to do that. I think Christine Todd Whitman is a way to like still embrace the conservative elements, but also be more encompassing of other demographics and other regions that they don't usually play in. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. You know, she won in a, in a, in a rapidly bluing state. I mean, we think now New Jersey is just like blue, 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 but it's a state that is becoming bluer, and yet she's been successful. She, she's not like a remarkably liberal Republican. And, you know, I, I think what you said is a good point, too. They're not giving up on the Northeast, and they're not giving up on female voters either, right? They're not conceding that ground. So, so I, I think that works. Just so we're clear... Also, a two-year governor at this point. Um, <laughs> Took office in 1994. Uh, uh, Shakur. <laughs> um, but she's done other stuff. Uh, yes, she has <laughs> she been was... the president of the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities. Um, um, for two years, by the way. Okay. And a member of the Somerset County Board of Chosen Freeholders for five years, where I assume she has worked on zoning laws for the Somerset Patriot Stadium. It's the only thing I know about Somerset County. She Um. has still been a governor of a state, what, four times New Mexico's population size? This is true. And she has technically more years of public experience. Yes. I I think that, but actually what you just said I think is an interesting point. I think there's a case to be made where she's like, I am governor of a state that is a lot of bedroom communities for New York and Philadelphia. These are the money makers, right? These are the people who work on Wall Street. These are the white-collar folks of America. The most densely populated state. We're small, but we've got a lot of earning power in this one place. Mm. And so I represent, you know, your middle class. I, I, I think of the 90s especially, and I think this election a lot, I think of it as like a very middle class election. They're focusing on the budget and taxes and things like that. And I think where you have the most like room to persuade people on is like the middle class. And I think there's an argument for that. She also is, of course, governor of a state that has two of the poorest and most violent cities in the country in it. The the disparity really 
between the wealthier communities in New Jersey and the more working class communities in New Jersey will could reflect poorly on her to certain other voters. But I think there's a case to be made about her. She, she's very much like a local politician, right? There, there, there's an argument for sort of like federalism and for working from the ground up. And I, I'm not this guy who, who's kind of been like an attorney general and governor of a state for most of his career and now he's president or someone who's been in the Senate for a long time. I, I, I'm someone who, who's, who had a start at the county level. I was a freeholder, which I don't think any other state in the U.S. has anymore, but I guess, I guess I'm talking myself into Christine Todd. <laughs> okay. For my number three, I went with Pete Wilson, governor of California and a former senator from that very same state. Generally considered pretty moderate. You know, he was a senator from Reagan's home state during the Reagan 80s, and he voted uh, in favor of making Martin Luther King Day a national holiday and also in favor of the Civil Rights Restoration Act. But he did also support SDI, a.k.a. Star Wars. So he did have a little bit more of a Republican view of defense. He was also considered the watchdog of the Treasury. When he was ended up being elected California, he helped them bounce back from a bad economy in the early 90s. And he has credibility in making hard economic decisions. He's steadfastly anti-regulation. He's tough on crime and immigration. My thinking here is that, you know, he's kind of, he's pretty pragmatic. He has a moderate reputation. But he has, like, enough of a right-wing edge to appeal to conservative voters in the party, right? I think of him as maybe like, in some ways, like a better version of Jack Kemp in that, you know, he has the Reagan credentials, right? He was a senator in the 80s. He's a Reagan ally in, Sen- in the Senate, but he's he's still working, right? Like, he's not like Jack Kemp, who just kind of like, who was not really in the public eye between 1993 and 1996. Maybe he helps bridge the gap a bit from sort of like the Reaganites who don't have a candidate right now, and also between like the moderates who want a more, a more centrist Republican party. Plus, you know, we're only two election cycles removed from the last time California went red in a presidential election. Maybe he helps tip the scales back in that favor. And if you get those 54 California votes, I know this was like, you know, an election that Clinton won pretty handily. That puts you back into the conversation. Not going to win the election, I don't think, but definitely puts you back in the conversation. At this point, he seems kind of like what happened in 1988, where Dukakis picked Benson. Is He kind of seems like the Benson for the Republicans at mm. this time. The party knows him, and he's like a known entity that everyone kind of like respects. Do you think he overshadows Dole? Do you think he is more like flashy than Dole? Because I think uh, Dole is kind of a weak nominee. I, I would agree. I, I don't know that he really does. I think you could make the argument for my number one pick, which we'll get to. Might. I, I, I don't know that he does. It's not like he has like a really signature political moment that would make him very, very north. And, you know, I think I should point out is that a big sticking point for the Republican Party at this time was abortion. Mm. And Pete Wilson was one of those people who tried to get the anti-abortion stuff removed from the Republican platform. So it could have hurt him with some conservatives, I grant you, but I think his approach on other issues would help them. We can still be the party of Reagan, but we can also modernize ourselves a little bit too. Yeah, I I picked Wilson in 92 as a please dear God Bush drop Dan Quayle for him. (laughs) Well, my argument for him was Bush has made this pledge, no new taxes, but then he did have to raise taxes. And Pete Wilson kind of had to do the exact same thing when he became governor of California, even though he supported Bush and whatnot. It's like, there's a way to say, like, we're the guys in the room. We know what it takes to govern. Sometimes you have to make the tough decision. I think now he just kind of is, like, too big. Mm. I don't know. 
for my number three, I went with Tom Ridge, the governor of Pennsylvania, another pro-choice Republican. Has a law and order track record. He was able to secure tax reductions. There's a lot of just tax candidates in these mm-hmm. days. He got state support for the Children's Health Insurance Program. Uh, he set up a rainy day fund, advocated for utility competition in the state, school choice. He oversaw several efforts to move more government services online. I think the play here is to showcase a Midwestern and somewhat modern governor with a compassionate model for conservatism. You know, like, here is why choice is good. I'm a Republican because I believe in choice. School choice, bodily choice, corporate competition. You know, Republicans are going to lose Pennsylvania for the next four elections until 2016. But it's almost the size of Florida. Like, Republicans should invest something here. We talked a lot about last episode how Democrats should maybe invest in Florida. Pennsylvania is like a state people forget is almost the same size. Yeah. And right on the edge there. Mm. Yeah, especially when you think about how, like, Pennsylvania has, between 92 and 2012, it went blue. But, you know, this is also still the state that would send Rick Santorum to the Senate around the same time. It's certainly not a lost cause for Republicans at all. And it's usually fairly close on yeah, these presidential yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, A swing state, as they yeah, call them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is a, a decent choice. You know, it's like, it's like a solid pick, you know? It's like he's a governor, he's been there for a bit, and it's like a solid pick. I kind of talked this a bit when we were talking about Pete Wilson. How do you feel about the the pro-choice thing of Republicans in these days? Do you think that's a liability for a running mate? I'm going to quote you from like two episodes ago. Get in line. It's like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) They're going to show up and vote for you. Republicans are going to vote for you anyway. I I think it was when we were talking about who Bush should pick, Mm. and you were like suggesting a more moderate alternative to Dan Quayle, and you're like, I don't care. (laughs) Who else are they going to vote for? And I genuinely agree. I I think that the Republican Party, it's more cohesive than the Democrats. I think they're more able to guide. I Mm -hmm. I think the Democrats is too loose. They're too unorganized to really like guide the voters in a compelling way, whereas the Republicans can kind of say, this is who we want to be as a party, Mm -hmm. go. And I think people more or less are okay with that. Yeah. There's a way to sort of step back from the edge and say, kind of as the Democrats are doing in this time, we, we can have it always. It's like, you can be an anti-choice mm. Republican. That's totally fine. You can be a pro-choice Republican. You know, the grand old party is grand. Mm. We welcome all stripes. Mm. Hmm. And Bob Dole, I don't think, is a pro-choice no. guy. No, I would agree. It's just like interesting because, you know, that, that, was like, that was a sticking point for Buchanan, right? Yeah. He actually was very concerned about Dole. Buchanan, I believe, said he was that he would run basically third party if Dole chose a pro-choice vice president. But yeah, compassionate conservatism. What a concept. That would become very much overshadowed in the next four years. But this is a good way to do it. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. Cool. Number two. I went with Tommy Thompson, great name, governor of Wisconsin. <laughs> He's known for his radical reform of the state's welfare system. Like, it became national news what he did in Wisconsin's welfare system. He cut the rules by 90%, but he did increase investment in child care and in health care, especially for low-income families. School choice pioneer, the, the health care thing that he found was called Badger Care, because Wisconsin is the Badger State. It provided health care to families that made too much money to go on Medicaid, but whose employers did not provide them with health insurance. He was just really huge on fiscal conservatism, big on tax cuts. He was pro-life. You know, you can say, I'm Tommy Thompson, let me do for the country what I did for Wisconsin. The Clinton, you know, his welfare reform didn't go far enough, so let me take it to the other level. But it's also a, gives him the opportunity to be like, look, yes, I did cut welfare by like a ridiculous amount. And, you know... <laughs> An un- a dangerous <laughs> amount, even. Yeah. Yes, there's very rich controversy as to what impact that actually had on the state of Wisconsin. But I think he's like, look, 
I cut, I cut welfare a lot, but I reinvested in healthcare. Look, I'm, I'm not a Democrat. I don't think the government should control your healthcare like Bill Clinton does. But if we cut welfare, we should use that money for other things. And maybe one of those things is healthcare. Right? There's just like an interesting path here to me where it's like, yes, I am like a hawk when it comes to cutting welfare, but I want to spend that money in other places. Mm. Be like, yes, this is a good start, the welfare reform, but let, let's 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 think bigger than just cutting the rules. Let's think what we can else we can do with that money, how else we can help families in a pragmatic conservative manner. I'm Tommy Thompson. <laughs> he he both sounds and looks like a Simpsons character. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he actually really does. It's, it's like the big, he's got very thick eyebrows, mm-hmm. uh, just, just no chin. He looks like a Simpson. I, I do like the Midwestern move, is I was looking at a lot of Midwestern people as well, I mean, we talked about Tom Ridge, is I, I do think this is a place where Republicans can start to make a play. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of try in 2012 with picking Paul Ryan as their own mate, but I think Trump and Pence make the more obvious Midwestern play that actually works. Uh, apparently Dole thought that he kind of sucked. <laughs> uh, I was like Dole like said that he had like a lack of finesse, mm-hmm. and then he would just like bluster through a speech and turn bombastic during public statements. <laughs> I do think that it's interesting that uh, at least so far this is like the one guy so far for Dole that you've picked that veers to the right. Mm-hmm. He's like this guy's he's pretty right leaning. He is, but I but I think he's more Gingrich than Dole, right? If you won this historic victory in 1994 and it's not just that the republicans took back the house it's they did it to the tune of 54 seats that's insane if you've had this like sweeping victory don't you want to build on the base that got you there don't you want to build on the kind of things that brought you there dole actually like veered away from that right Mm. his thought was like well let's go with the guy we all know and let's avoid buchanan and gingrich they're a little crazy and it's like (laughs) maybe thompson's a little crazy too he's still got some credibility i guess and so I think Thompson's kind of throwing a bone to that base and maybe energizing them a little bit. He's the future of the Republican Party. Maybe not the future of America at large, but he's the future of the Republican Party and a natural bridge from, you know, the Dole administration to the Thompson administration. And he was chair of the National Governors Association. I do like in Wisconsin how you can just be governor forever. Yeah, yeah. He's governor since 87 mm. until 2001 when mm. he took a different job. Yeah, when he became <laughs> Secretary of Health and Human Services, right? Yeah. Yeah. You talk about how Dole didn't like him, apparently. He was on the short list for vice president, but he obviously didn't get it, and apparently he was actually relieved he didn't get it. <laughs> he was like, yeah, it was just like a lot of pressure, and I was just like, nah, <laughs> nah not really liking it. Cool. For my number two, I went with Frank Keating, the governor of Oklahoma and the former deputy secretary of housing and urban development and a former associate attorney general. Here's the guy who passed the first welfare reform law in the nation in 1995, which would be a model for Clinton's welfare reform a year later, kind of like Mitt Romney and Obama and Obamacare, you see. Mm. He massively improved highways in the state without raising taxes. People love driving yeah. in Oklahoma, I hope. I don't know what else there is. <laughs> he oversaw education reform and environmental protection. Yeah, he got tax cuts. He implemented tough parole policies. He was incredibly tough on crime. But he also raised salaries, all while facing a Democratic state legislature that was very hostile to him. He would later become the first governor in 50 years of his state to be able to cut taxes And oh, what is it that happened a mere three months into office in mid-1995? 
the Oklahoma City bombing. Kind of a big deal in, like, mm. domestic terrorism, in, like, the biggest deal in domestic terrorism in the 90s, right? I, I think there's a way to position Keating as, like, the Giuliani of the 90s. <laughs> like, the, the Giuliani, not that we know in 20, right, 2020, right, right. but that we knew in 2001, right? Mm. A, a national figure, a, a major governor who speaks for middle America going through pain. Fear and pain coming at their expense, and the federal government is kind of helpless to stop it. Mm. Does it concern you that Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, was, like, very right-wing? Like, do you do you worry that, like, highlights the fact that there may be some fringe elements of the party who might be like, you know, maybe I don't agree with the bombing, but what McVeigh did is... I don't agree, I don't, agree, I don't disagree with McVeigh that the government's getting too big. <laughs> what? I okay. don't. That doesn't bother me at all. I okay. don't think Frank Keating <laughs> is going to be, like, accused of being, you know what? No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that, like... <laughs> Do I think he's going to make enemies because he doesn't like the bombing? No. <laughs> Children die. That, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, does talking about the bombing actually hurt Republicans, not among their own party, but among Democrats and independents? I think there's a way he can do this without even talking about the bombing. Like, maybe he's very vocal after the bombing. People kind of know who he is, he's on the news a lot, and then he never brings it up ever again. He just kind of maintains, you know, he's not going to be like Giuliani and talk <laughs> about it verb forever. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, that was Frank Keating, oh my okay. god. And now he's so humble, he never talks about it, but like clearly, what like a great guy. Mm-hmm. I think there's a way to do it that way. I do yeah. also think there's a way to be like, well, I don't know about you, but when I was three months in, I don't know how Frank Keating talks, but... <laughs> I think there's a way to bring it up. It's like, and we went through pain. Yeah. America is in pain. Mm. We alone can fix that pain. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think that actually makes sense. I was just no one blames him. No, no, right? I'm, no, and that's all I'm saying. I, I guess my point is right. Is that like, if you want to avoid like the Buchanan wing of the party, and because they felt like it made the Republicans look crazy in 1992, mm. does keeping the Oklahoma City bombing a bit more in the public discourse? Do people just think right-wing terrorism links to, like, right-wing links to Buchanan? Is there, like, sort of, like, a thought mm. process there that, that kind of, like, scares them a little bit? Where it's, like, granted, Dolan, Keating would not be Buchanan, but, like, they're closer to Buchanan than Clinton is. Buchanan was also, I don't think, endorsed the Oklahoma City bomber, let me be very clear. <laughs> I will not be sued for slander on this podcast. But when you hear the word right-wing and terrorist, does that make you less inclined to vote for a Republican? I don't think so. I think Republicans are perceived as the daddy party. Okay. They're the party who comes to when you feel in danger. Mm-hmm. It's Democrats. The mommy problem is a political science thing. It's right. like, you go to Democrats when you lose your job or you need health care. Mm-hmm. You go to Republicans when daddy needs to protect you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair. Fun fact about Frank Keating, I actually saw him speak in a class of mine in college. Did he bring up the bombing? <laughs> he did not, no. He was talking about Native American rights. Oklahoma obviously has a very large Native American population. And he was saying that Oklahoma does not have Indian reservation. Hmm. Instead, Native American families owned the land that they lived on. Turns out a lot of that was on oil, helped them make a lot of money. And so what I think you could actually turn that into is that, you know, like an ownership society thing, right? Native American reservations are big government. Government-funded housing and land and health care and food and all of that. In Oklahoma, we didn't do that. In Oklahoma, we let Native Americans own their own homes and own their own land, and it let them make a killing. And, you know, our Native American population is better off than other Native American populations because of that. Let's, let's find out ways we can apply that kind of model and that kind of thing to the rest of the country. So I do actually think it's a good pick. That's my guy. All right. Number one. I went with John McCain, senator from Arizona, Vietnam War veteran. So Dole's clearly worried about appearing too right wing. So why not pick the Maverick himself? 
if Republicans want to paint Clintons as sort of like out-of-touch baby boomers, that's one thing. But I do think that could hurt you among baby boomer voters who are now in their like 30s and 40s and, and maybe in some cases their 50s now, like their, their prime voting age. So maybe instead of kind of demonizing boomers, you nominate someone who was a youth during the Vietnam War, and instead of protesting against the war and being in college like Hillary and Bill Clinton were, he was actually fighting in the war. He was actually, you know, was shot down and spent time in a POW camp, right? Instead of sort of painting the baby boomers as entitled and spoiled, say, no, 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 they're not entitled and spoiled. Baby boomers are spoiled like Democrats are. Meanwhile, the Republican baby boomers, well, they're heroes. And they fought for what we all have now. They defended our freedom. That's why I go with John McCain. Also, you know, he supported the Civil Rights Restoration Act, which required him to override Reagan's veto. Mm. He worked on McCain-Feingold, which could be spun to kind of like a populist thing, right? Populism is a big thing in 96. Ross Perot runs again. He doesn't do as well as he did in 1992, but he still does pretty well. He does, like over 5%. And so I think McCann-Feingold, which was a campaign finance reform bill, there's, there's, a, there's a populist bent to it, right? Where he's like, let, let's let's clean up Washington, let's clean up elections, cast him as a reformer if you really wanted to. But he, you know, despite his moderation, he was still opposed to pork barrel spending, and he was opposed to the Somalia intervention, right? You know, I'm an old war horse, but I'm not a hawk. I'm not going to send our people into harm's way just because we feel like it. We need to be smart about this. And the Clinton administration, Somalia, and, you know, Black Hawk Down was a thing that happened, right? Like, that's having an actual soldier as vice president. I'll, I'll make sure those mistakes aren't made. I, I know I know what it's like to carry a gun to go into war. Yeah, I think this, like, 90s to 2000 era John McCain is, like, peak John McCain. This is, like, Straight Talk Express. This is before he got, like, a little bitter and picked Sarah Palin as a running mate. I, I do think he came around. At the, mm-hmm. like, I, I do. I appreciate everything John McCain did for this country, especially towards the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wonder, the reasons that I like him may be a problem for Dole, is do you think there's tension with Dole for being a renegade under... Dole's leadership. Dole's the majority yeah. leader. And yeah. I mean, this is going to go into a huge conversation about, like, does McCain overshadow Dole? Yeah, general? yeah. And that, that's why you, you mentioned Wilson overshadowing Dole. I think that's a very serious question. In some ways, perhaps McCain's a better presidential candidate than a vice presidential one. Mm. Dole's so screwed. He's just really not in a good place. And this election was, like, boring, right? Like, it was so wrapped up. It's not like Dole won one state. But it's so boring, and you just, you need to, you need to juice your ticket somehow, and just just pick someone who. Well, McCain would run for the nomination in two thousand. I would assume Republicans would assume he was going to run sometime soon for president, and just like just just juice that up, and just get that primed and running, and get him ready for it, and just just take this big old swing, and and hope it puts you past Clinton. Be a vehicle for the future of the party and the country. Make it kind of bigger than yourself, I guess. You'd have two veterans on the ticket against like two you know, quasi-countercultural figure. I do question the use of, like, a vice presidential loser as setting them up. Was Tim Kaine set up to run in 2020? No. Was <laughs> Sarah Palin set up to run in 2012? Maybe. Was yeah. Paul Ryan didn't run in 2016? No. I don't think it often works. It's like Kemp didn't run in 2000. Uh, Ferraro didn't run in 88, you know. I, I do think there's, like, a weak point there in that this makes Dole look weak. Dole was supposed to be in charge, and yet he's got this renegade, self-described maverick, <laughs> running around in the Senate, who's now his ward, his vice president. In an odd way, McCain could become the Palin to Dole's McCain. Right. 
<laughs> Probably way yeah. more qualified, but right. You know who the losing vice president in 1920 was? A fellow by the name of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So it can work, but... Um, From 100 years ago. <laughs> yes. I, I think those are all legitimate concerns, but I also don't care. I think it's worth the risk, I guess. Yes, I, I agree that Republicans probably needed to be bolder, which is why, number one, I have Olympia Snow, the senator from Maine, one of the most moderate members of the Senate. Bill Clinton has embraced triangulation. He loves triangles. He loves compromise. He loves moderation. This is maybe the Republican Party's last chance to make or break their perception in the 21st century as being not the party of minorities or women. Olympia Snow, famous minority. Okay. <laughs> Snow is a good way to get that back on track. My play here is that she has the opportunity to be both the Republican Hillary Clinton and the Republican Joe Biden. Whoa. Her personal life is full of tragedies. She lost both her mother to breast cancer and her father to heart disease before she even turned 10. She lost her husband in a car accident and then she ran for his main house seat. She was elected to the U.S. House shortly thereafter, and she remarried. Progressive, right? A woman remarrying. Mm. The person she remarried was then the governor of Maine. <laughs> and she served as the state's first lady for six years while also serving as its congresswoman. And then she became senator. I, she's a moderate voice. She's got a great story. She's got this prominent leadership as both like a Republican woman. And, and this could be historic. This would be game changing. like give the Republican Party an opportunity to nominate its first woman. All the Democrats have kind of stopped doing that after their failure with Ferraro. I, I just think this is like the last and perhaps best chance to course correct the party before it would be too late. Even if this ticket fails, I think you're setting her up in the 21st century to be kind of Hillary Clinton for the Republicans. Even though you just talked about how a losing vice presidential bid does not help set people up. I did. G explain yourself. <laughs> explain myself. Um, I think you're, you're, you're giving someone who people don't really know yet a leg up. I think people know who John McCain is at this point, and making him like a VP wannabe actually kind of undermines him, because I kind of think John McCain thinks he's better than that. Olivia Snow is still pretty fresh on the scene here, right? She's only been a senator since 1995. Choosing her as, as she's a... She's been v in Congress in 78. Yeah. 79. But, like, people... Uh, she's not... Not a name. Yeah. And I think giving her a step up is, like, a big boon to her future ambitions, if she has them. Whereas giving McCain a step up is unnecessary. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I kind of get that. I, I, I do like the women idea. I think it's I think it's a smart move for, for Dole at this point. And the Republicans in general. She has a compelling story, you're right. How do you feel about having two senators? It's a valid question because I have governors for literally everything else. Mm. I think her relative... She's very new to the Senate. I, I, I don't think... It's, it's kind of like a Carrie Edwards situation more than it's like a, you know, old, two old guys situation. <laughs> two old guys. <laughs> Two old guys, president, 2020. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to add. I think this is a good pick. The one thing is that I've been reading a lot about, obviously, the 2020 Veep stakes. Oh, you've been reading my stuff, Mike? <laughs> it's so sweet. I have. I've been reading other things, too. And the one critique I, I've read about Biden choosing Val Demings is that he would have to introduce Val Demings to the country. And she's the two-term congresswoman? Yeah. Yes, yes. Do you have concerns about Dole, like, having to introduce Olympia Snow to the country? Do you think that kind of, like, hurts him? Do, do, or does he need someone who's, like, a little bit more of a known quantity? I, I don't. I, I, I think she has more credibility, certainly, than Val Demings, in that she was in the House for years. Mm -hmm. 
and now she's been elected senator. You know, I said this earlier. Senators is very different from being a representative. Mm-hmm. You you have to vote on a lot more. I mean, you vote on nominations. You vote on more foreign policy stuff. It's different. She's also just been around a while, and I think Dole is so widely known and is just such a symbol of Washington and gridlock. And he's literally the Senate Majority Leader. Is like maybe having this like junior senator isn't a bad idea. Maybe it's good to have someone that you can give to the people. Future of the party kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's our picks for Dole. For trends, yeah, mostly governors. Not not ideologically mixed. Is is I, I think Tommy Thompson is the most right wing guy on here. Mostly we're trying to we're course correct something, right? Yeah, I think it is so interesting that it really feels like there was an opportunity and I think it was nine eleven that ruined it, as it ruined so many things. The Republican Party really had an opportunity to become like a more centrist party. There there was a potential for like the Republicans and the Democrats almost become like Finnegoyle and like Finnefoil in, in the Irish Parliament where they were just like almost so similar this was kind of in a way like the last chance for them to become sort of more moderate and i think 9-11 put issues of culture and war and immigration and foreign policy more contentious 1996 was the opportunity in a way for really both parties to build a kind of consensus that i think would have withstood even things i think like abortion i think that'd still be like an issue of debate but there there would have been a bigger ten approach on both sides to it certainly in the republican side do you think 94 ruins that i don't think 94 helps but i but, think gingrich is a problem here i i would agree but gingrich is you know out of the house not too soon after that and i think of like the idea of like compassionate conservatism which was also like thing that george w bush ran on and he had to kind of put that on the back burner once 9 11 happened and focus on other things the republicans had a chance to make a case for essentially like bleeding heart conservatism and why their approach to fiscal policy and to economics was what was going to bring the most prosperity to the country. And instead, they ended up focusing on more divisive issues of social policy, of cultural policy and differences in the foreign policy. Again, forced their hands a bit because of 9-11, but it's odd to think about how how much in 20 years the 1996 Republican Party looks different from the 2016 Republican Party, and it looks a lot more like the Buchananites than it does sort of like the dull wing. Maybe the fact that Dole lost this election is kind of what, what sealed the fate of the moderates. What I guess it really is is that the Cold War was over. A really defining aspect of the Republican Party, certainly under Reagan, was their steadfast opposition to the USSR and the spread of communism. Without that, they had to look domestically, and I think they really didn't know how to do that. 96, it's, just like, it's a very soul-searching election for the Republicans, I think. They fumbled a bit by going with Kemp, because they really did not look for the future at all, and they tried to rely on past glory. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. As for who Dole actually yeah. considered, he did consider Arizona Senator John McCain, considered Florida Senator Connie Mack III, Michigan Governor John Engler, former South Carolina Governor Carol Campbell, Ohio Governor George Voinovich, who declined, uh, and Colin Powell, who had said earlier no. All right, let's quickly do the Democratic picks. Uh, I'll go first. My number two for Clinton, I have California Senator Barbara Boxer. This is a year of the woman pick. Capitalize on that. Maybe Clinton doesn't need to lean into moderation as much as he thinks he did. I kind of argue he doesn't. Hmm. I think he's kind of got this election. He can maybe afford to stake out some socially liberal policies, and I think Boxer is a good way to do that in an establishment way. Yeah, it does kind of like make you think where it's like what Clinton moving to the center on crime and on welfare 
really just like undercut the Republicans because yeah. they didn't really have anything to campaign on or like not as much. Yeah. But if you're like a New Deal Democrat, there's a legitimate. You could have concerns about that. And Boxer is more liberal than Clinton, and maybe right. that, that assuages some of those fears. And I think a lot of people would argue that Clinton maybe didn't need to go that far. He could have gone a little more to the left. Yeah. Why don't you pick? I went with John Kerry, Senator of Massachusetts, because he's basically New England Al Gore. <laughs> But probably a bit more liberal. He was a Vietnam veteran. He, he was very directly involved with Vietnam veterans against the war. He was a big uh, anti-war activist. I, I will grant perhaps hurts him in some circles, but it could also help him win over some liberal Democrats who may be concerned about Clinton's move to the center. He's also a big part in, in the Iran-Contra investigations and the Reagan administration, and just like other investigations of Reagan and Bush administration's foreign policy, especially in South and Central America. So he's got some credibility there. You know, maybe it doesn't help him quite as much when you're not running against. Reagan or Bush, but young baby boomer helps get that brand of liberalism the highest it would ever get. Do you think like a New England liberal really helps Clinton? He's from the South. It balances out, I think. I don't think he picks anything up from that. No, probably not. I don't think he picks anything up from dropping out Gore, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my number one, Bob Graham, same guy I picked as number one for Clinton last time. A senator from Florida, former governor from Florida. This is one of the most popular politicians in Florida history. He left the governorship with an 83% approval rating. That's like unfathomable. It is. That's crazy. <laughs> the election's going to happen in four years. I'm sticking with this Florida thing. Like, save us from election wise, UK. Yeah. This went terribly. There's a chance to stop a lot of stuff if you have a Democrat from Florida running or on the ticket in 2000. And yeah, as I'm sure we will talk about next episode, there are a lot of things that could have been done differently to change mm -hmm. the outcome. This is one of them. Yeah, I, it's a good pick. I didn't pick him because I'm probably going to pick him as my number one next week. I think so I, am too. <laughs> I I for the for the sake of uh, diversity, I chose I chose not to include him. But yes, a good pick. My number one pick, I went with Carol Mosley Braun, senator from Illinois, uh, one of the victors in the so-called Year of the Woman, the first female African American senator in United States history. Generally pretty liberal, but a pretty centrist on fis on fiscal issues other than welfare reform. You know, Clinton has he's moved to the center on welfare reform and crime bill. Those two things are probably not very well received by his African-American base, right? And probably adversely affect the African-American community. But what better way to kind of like, you know, win that base over a bit and maybe assuage some of their concerns by nominating African-American on major party ticket? Maybe like you said with Christine Ty Woodman, a little tokenism. But, you know, she does balance out the ticket. She does give them a lot, you know. She supports, for instance, abortion funding on military bases. She's been very outspoken in fights against federal funding for the United Daughters of the Confederacy. It used to be against the rules for women to wear pants on the Senate floor. And she and Byron Mikulski bucked that rule by wearing pants on the Senate floor, and then the rules were changed probably, like, you know, 60 years after they should have been. She just keeps the party closer to its base. If you're worried about the drift to the center of the Clinton Gore administration you go with Carol Mosley Brown instead. Yeah. She makes a statement while also not challenging Clinton on his issues. Mm -hmm. I was like, in 1996, there is like kind of a scandal with her. Yeah. Where it's like she took like an odd trip to Nigeria unregistered with the Department of State mm -hmm. and like her former fiance who worked on her campaign staff like kind of illegally. Mm -hmm. was also like a lobbyist for the Nigerian government. Yeah. I think in like 98, George Will wrote a column about how corrupt she is. She replied and like basically called him, I think she literally called him a Klansman, <laughs> said he'd have used another word if he could, but instead he just used corrupt. Mm -hmm. 
I, I don't know. There's some stuff under the surface that, like, I do wonder if she's in a corner, mm-hmm. like, gets a little heated. And, like, don't get me wrong, I think what George Will did was uncalled for, mm-hmm. but I also don't think you can go around calling a columnist a Klansman. Yeah, yeah. Do you think she's set up well for anything in the 21st century? I don't know. Maybe. All right. Any trends there? We pick all senators. Yes. <laughs> Clinton senator. That's a good That's a good pair. Yeah. As for who Clinton actually considered, he stuck by Al Gore. No surprise. Speed round. Ian Ames. That might have been fun of Corky. For Clinton, I had Diane Feinstein, another senator from California. Sub that for boxer. Jim Hunt, North Carolina governor. Now on the second time as North Carolina governor. I just like a good North Carolina governor. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a big close red state, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Picks for uh, Republicans. I said Bill Weld. Um, you really like this 2016 libertarian. Type, <laughs> I, I guess I do. At this point, was the governor of Massachusetts. Probably too liberal for the Republicans at this time. Fun fact, he actually worked with Hillary Clinton on the uh, Nixon impeachment inquiry. Maybe Cheney, maybe Rumsfeld, maybe like a holdover from the Reagan or Bush administration like Kemp was. My weirdest one is I I said Newt Gingrich. <laughs> my, my thinking here, and I almost went with this for one of my picks, it's not a very good one, is that... So he and Bill actually didn't seem like they liked each other very much, but maybe that's kind of part of the ploy. And it, it, it becomes like almost like three-dimensional chess thing here where it's like, if Dole thinks Gingrich is hurting the party and the Republican Congress by appearing too extreme, maybe he gives him an ostensible promotion that'll take him away from the oh front God. lines of Congress. And like, maybe he does less damage as vice president than he does as Speaker of the House. You know, this like weird gambit thing that is very unrealistic, but is fun to think about. <laughs> Don't think too hard about that one. Cool. So in conclusion, if you could change the running mate for the two candidates, would you, Mike? Certainly not for Clinton, because there's no reason to. Right. Keep Al Gore is so dope. <laughs> Al Gore is such a good pick. Yeah. I, I would for Dole. I think Jack Kemp is a backwards-looking pick. I think it's almost boring in some ways. The Reagan and Bush years are behind you. You got to look to the future. And Jack Kemp had his time. Probably should have been Bush or Reagan's VP. Probably should have run for president in 96. But it's just too late. I, I just don't. It's just like, hey, you liked Reagan, right? <laughs> and you liked Bush kind of? Well, here's a guy who's like them. There's no imagination there. I, I agree. Republicans needed an opportunity to kind of seize the moment, show that they're the party of the future, show that they're probably more accepting of women and minorities, and they just went with, here's Reagan Jr. And this book I bring up all the time, Gang of Five, which is about sort of the conservative movement. It was written shortly after George W. Bush's election. What the the author, the thing she makes, and the thing that like stuck with me a lot from it was that the Republicans were right when they said that things like a second teenage pregnancies and single mothers was, was a sign that something was amiss in society and something needed to be remedied. Where they erred was in demonizing those people. And she basically ends the book with the election of Bush and saying that, you know, Bush being elected in 2000, he has the opportunity to decide, is he going to govern for the entire country or is he only going to govern the slice of the country that the Gingrich era and the conservative movement thought America was? I actually think the Republicans had that choice in 1996 as well. And I don't think Jack Kemp was them rejecting that choice, but I think they had the opportunity to make a stronger statement. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Kemp's old news. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's our show. You can find us everywhere that podcasts are found. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can find all of our works on thepostwriter.com, including our running mates portal for all your vice presidency-related needs. In the meantime, I have been Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. And we will catch you in our next episode, the new century election of 2000 and the incredible disaster that it would become <laughs> in a contest between Al Gore and Joel Lieberman and George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. 
Stay healthy and well, and we will see you next time.